This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And as I was getting ready to record this episode, I realized that I mentioned a while back, I don't even remember how long ago, probably a month and a half, two months ago, that I was working on a new book. And I was probably by the time you heard that recording, I would have already sent it to the editor. And now, so these episodes release about a month after I record them. So in real time today, as I'm sitting here, I got my uh, final edited version back from the editor just a few days ago, I think uh, a week ago maybe. And the next step is to get the book designed and laid out. It's a kind of a crazy process that if you've not been involved in doing a book like I hadn't been before um, two years ago, they go through and lay out each single page. Every page is designed. And so it's not, you know, what we picture, what I pictured at least, is you just sort of copy and paste the text into a Word document and you hit center justify or left justify, whatever you choose, and then you're ready. But they go through and all the words that are hyphenated, they figure out where to do it. Does it make sense to just move this word down to the next line? So each individual page is designed. So that's kind of where we're at in the process and shooting for a September, October-ish release. And I'm realizing that I wasn't real strategic because what I'm talking about in this episode has nothing to do with the topic of the book, but I just thought of it and thought I would give a little update. It's going to be called, I can't remember if I even mentioned this, uh, it's going to be called Five Years Later, and it's a look at what Annalise and I have learned in the first five years of our marriage. And so, you know, I really think that for other couples that are in the early years, like we are, the goal of this book is to let people see, oh, you guys went through that too. Oh, you guys are struggling with the same, not the exact same thing, but the same type of thing that we are. And my hope is that for other newly married couples, you know, I guess, I don't know, maybe I'd, I wouldn't call myself at five years newly married, but in the bigger picture, you know, compared to most of the people that I talk to, who have been married for 25, 30 years, it feels like we're still newlyweds. And so I, I really think that for people in a similar spot as us, um, I think it will be an encouraging look at what growth looks like, at what messing up looks like, and really a lot of the tone and feel and themes are going to line up with the way that you hear me discuss growth and failure in life in this podcast because that's my view on how things go. And so if you're listening to this, I'm assuming that you at least don't hate my perspective 
So uh, if you're in that category of, a, you know, a few years married or five years married like us, um, just want to let you know that's going to be coming out. I'll give more updates as we get a little further along. But I realized I mentioned it like two months ago and then never said another word about it. So <laughs> just thought I'd give a little update here. Uh, so that's that's that. That's the book. And I'm excited about it. It's kind of cool. It's a li- It gets a little tedious um, going back and forth doing the editing stuff and going back and forth with the layout stuff because I end up reading my own book so many times throughout this that basically by the time it's a real printed in real life book book, um, I don't really want to read <laughs> any of it anymore because I've read it so many times up to that point. But just giving a little update on that. And now I'm going to make a not very smooth transition into what I was planning on sharing here in this episode. And this is something that for me has been, this idea has been marinating for around a month because uh, I don't know how many of you will be familiar with this name, but a Christian author, Rachel Held Evans, she passed away really suddenly and very young. I think she was 39 or 40, somewhere right in there um, from a, a very quick acting, I forget, I think it was an, an infection or something along those lines. I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly the details. And as I'm recording this, it was around a month ago that she passed away. And while uh, everyone was remembering her and mourning her life and legacy and sharing about some of the things that she taught and wrote about, um, one of the things, and I, this is kind of how it goes, right? I read this article or this in some ways, kind of a eulogy, a remembrance of her. And when I go to try to find it to sort of quote the article or read from it, I can't find it. But it said something along these lines. It said one of the things that she wrote about was how millennials or young people, I can't remember exactly what, are uncomfortable with or disagree with the idea of sin. Now, if you are, I don't even know the right word to describe. If you're more traditional, if you're more um, conservative, if you're more, hey, this is what the Bible says and that's reality. If that's more your take on life, Maybe you hear that idea and you're like, wow, what's, what's wrong with anybody that would think that? How, it's so obvious. What, what are you talking? How can you deny the idea of sin? And if you're there, I want you to just be open to hearing the perspective that I'm going to share in the beginning of this episode. We'll come around and I think you'll be happy at the end of things. But I, I want to go on a little journey because, like I said, this has been marinating within me for the past month 
because when I heard, when I first read that idea, I was struck by first the, the seriousness, the heaviness of it. But then I was also struck by how, if I was honest, there was a little part of me that goes, yeah, I, I kind of get where someone's coming from. If they're uncomfortable with or disagree with the idea of sin, and I think a big part of that, or the, maybe the entirety of it, is that I'm a product of my environment. I'm 33, and I grew up as, you know, I'm not sure if this is a worldwide trend. I don't think it exactly was at the exact same time, but here in the United States, even though I live in the Midwest, so we probably are have been more resistant to this change than some other parts of the country. But we're watching a very um, you do you, I'll do me kind of an attitude just continue to grow. And that's had an impact on me for sure, definitely. Uh, one of the things that I like to say is, you know, whenever somebody will talk about some thing that they think is weird that somebody else is doing. My response is, hey, if they're not hurting anybody else and they're happy, hey, let them. I mean, it's their choice. They can do what they want. That's pretty different than the way that especially the church has viewed the world for decades and generations and uh and centuries, really. And so I think part of the reason that this idea of finding out that young people are uncomfortable with or disagree with or moving away from the idea of sin, I think part of why that was so intriguing for me, and I spent genuinely, I haven't talked about this, I've spent the last month just kind of chipping away at this idea in my brain. And one of the things that I came up with, why we're in this place, I think part of it is personal experience. I think a lot of young people, especially those of us who grew up in, um, I don't want to say strict homes, although definitely if, if that's been your story, then you'll relate to this on a whole nother level. But I went to, from middle school and high school, I went to, uh, as I was there, so from in sixth grade, the school that I went to was really, really strict. And by the time I graduated in 12th grade, I went there the whole time, things had really relaxed. But I know that my experience there are a lot of people who their experience of what it looked like to grow up in this, um, this Christian environment where we're being taught about the love of God, the graciousness of God, the forgiveness of God. But at the same time, it kind of feels like some of the people that are in positions of power 
are there because of the power. And so it feels like, okay, I'm being taught by this authoritarian kind of person. And they're trying to talk about how God is all these positive characteristics. But I'm not seeing a lot of those, or I'm not seeing all of those reflected in the way that they're treating me all the time, right? I mean, think about how many people, think about how sort of socially appropriate it is to make jokes about how much people hate nuns because they went to a strict Catholic school and they felt like, man, these these people that were running this school, they just love the idea of taking a ruler and smacking people on the hand. They just loved punishment. And in a, in a much, much smaller context, I can remember some of the strict rules. And this is why I'm saying the strictness that I experienced and the strictness that many others have experienced in, um, in this Christian education environment is very different. So my stuff is on a really small scale, but this is what I can talk about because it was my experience. I had one teacher who uh, we weren't allowed, we would get in trouble if we sniffed in class. So you do, I have, you know, I have some drainage in my throat or in my nose. You're not allowed to do that. You need to, you need to raise your hand, ask to go get a tissue, get up, go get a tissue, blow your nose. And it's like, okay, well, I'm living in Michigan and I have crazy bad allergies. So every now and again, that's going to happen. And that was considered in this one class wrong. We also would, people would get in trouble if you uh, vocalize the sneeze. And so I don't know if you can picture what this is, you know, anything short of just letting it be sort of a muffled, like I, I can't really sneeze on command to make the sound effect, but I, I think you get what I'm saying here. Um, there was another teacher who <laughs> I didn't do that sniff on purpose. That was just a genuine, I needed to sniff. That was pretty good timing. Uh, another teacher who we did like locker checks and that kind of stuff, as you can imagine. And we weren't allowed to have our Bible. We weren't allowed to have anything on top of our Bible in our locker. So the Bible needed to be on the top of the stack because that was the way that we would show proper deference and respect to God's word. The Bible needed to be on the top of a stack of books, needed to be on the top of all of our folders and notebooks and whatever else the case may be. And so when I think back on some of these where it felt like rules for the sake of rules, if you learn from people in those kind of roles that this insignificant stuff like that is wrong. It's, I mean, I guess they wouldn't describe it probably as saying it's a sin because that feels like kind of a heavy thing, but it may be right up to that line, right? 
it's wrong to sniff in class or to vocalize your sneeze or to put a book, another book or piece of paper or, or whatever it is on top of a Bible. If you learn that it's wrong to do that stuff and then you find out that the church on a larger scale has been involved to some extent, obviously not everybody, but some of the people involved in covering up pedophilia, who've been involved in abusing their power to silence or to manipulate people to do what they wanted them to do. And then just on a way smaller scale, you think about just the generally controlling nature of some of these people who, um, you know, whether in your experience it was a Sunday school teacher or whether it was, you know, like a someone teaching at your small Christian school or at a, a place where, you know, kind of a Catholic boarding school, whatever the context is where you go, yeah, I do get that. I've been around some people who made bigger deals, especially now that I look back on it, made bigger deals out of things than they should have. And I think what that does is it, it kind of leaves us wondering, right? And I think it makes sense in that context that some young people are just moving away from the church, just saying, hey, look, if, if the way that these things were addressed, these small things, this not big issues were addressed in a not loving but a controlling, a, man, just command and control authoritarian approach where it's like, you know, I, I kind of say sometimes that the people who pursue positions of power are almost entirely the people that I never want in positions of power, right? Because you're like, man, there's, there's something that draws certain people to these roles where they can affect and they can dictate how other people act. And I think that many young people have seen that play out in the name of faith, in the name of Christianity. And you go, well, I, I don't think that that person or a person who would decide to act in that way is the moral authority here. And so going to kind of move away from the church. And with that, I'm going to kind of move away from the idea, the concept of sin. And interestingly, uh, C.S. Lewis in the 1950s and G.K. Chesterton in like 1908, 1910, um, those two names, C.S. Lewis is probably a really familiar name to you. Uh, Chesterton, maybe not as much. But both of those guys were writing in Europe and they were writing about how they saw faith interacting with the world that they were living in. And they were both 
really involved with philosophy. And I think that's part of the reason why they were running into this issue so long ago, because philosophy kind of has the, the seeds of some of this walking away from faith. And they were writing about the challenge of living in kind of a post-sin world. And like I say, they were more tied in with philosophy, so they were kind of ahead of the curve on some of this thinking. But they realized that if people move away from the idea of sin, if you try to share the gospel with somebody, it doesn't really sound like good news anymore. If you're first trying to convince people hey, you're broken, you're beyond repair, you are, you know, the popular name of the sermon from, I want to say, 1800s, I'm not sure, that you're sinners in the hands of an angry God, and you guys, you guys are going to hell. Well, to people who haven't bought into this idea of sin in the first place, this separation, um, it doesn't really sound like good news if you're having to start by convincing them that there's something wrong and then say, hey, but the good news part of this is that Jesus paid the penalty and because of what he's done on your behalf, you can experience freedom. That doesn't really sound like good news to someone who didn't agree in the first place that there was something wrong. And we hear that, and Chesterton and Lewis were writing about this, what, it, what would that have been, 70 and over 100 years ago, writing about how to, how to talk about faith in a world that had kind of moved past the idea of sin. But then, you know, we see Romans 3.23, and Paul writes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we're living in this tension of whether we feel this way or not, a lot of the people that we interact with, especially a lot of the younger people in our lives, they're, whether they're actually moving all the way into thinking this way of living in kind of a post-sin world, or if they're at least a little bit kind of comfortable with that idea, that maybe sin is a little overstating things. Whether we want that to be the reality or not, that is the reality that a lot of people are living in. And then we see what God's word has to say. And so we see it comes into direct conflict with what we're seeing often in culture. Well, I want to dig into a little bit this idea in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The word there that Paul uses that is translated as sinned in the Greek, which I know you don't care what the word is pronounced as, but it's uh, hamartano. 
And when you go and look that word up, the definition, the meaning of that word when Paul was writing was to miss the mark, to fail, to be lacking. And what's interesting is that first definition, to miss the mark, it's talking about especially in throwing a spear. That's in the concordance that I looked this up, that little phrase, especially in throwing a spear. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So I go and I look up what throwing a spear would have looked like in ancient Greek. And so you remember that in the ancient world, the Greeks came up with the idea of Olympic Games. They would have these challenges where they would uh, bring people together for their athletic feats. And one of the things that they would do is they would have horseback riders that would throw javelins at targets. And if you didn't hit the target, that's where this word, hamartano, that we translate as sin, that's where that would be used. And so to pull that into a modern context, I, I think that this idea brings along with it some ideas of to lose, to miss a shot, to not score the goal, to turn the ball over, to mess up. You know, I've, I've been watching the, you know I'm a huge NBA fan. I've been watching the NBA playoffs recently. And by the time you're hearing this, the finals are done, a champion has been crowned, all that. But while I'm recording it, we're still in the middle of the NBA Finals. And I'm cheering for the Toronto Raptors. They're playing the Golden State Warriors. If you didn't already know that, you don't care about this at all. That's fine. But I'm cheering for them partly because I, I really like uh, their main player, Kawhi Leonard, and partly because you know I collect basketball cards. I have some Kawhi Leonard cards that if they win – they're going to be worth a lot more than I paid for them. And I like that idea. So I'm cheering for Kawhi and I'm cheering for the Toronto Raptors. Well, let me tell you that I think it was game two. I was sitting there watching this game and I felt like I knew <laughs> what Paul was writing about here when he was talking about sin, missing the mark, failing, coming up short, lacking, because my guy, Kawhi, he had a good game, but the rest of his team, the Toronto Raptors, they were out there sinning all over the court. They looked like garbage. They sucked. I'm watching this game, and, and you might not know it from watching basketball, but you know it from something. Right where you're cheering for something to happen and it just isn't going your way. And you know that kind of sinking feeling that as you're watching and, you know, maybe for you, it's watching your, your kids play. Obviously, you're not going to be saying what I'm saying. Of like, man, they suck. But you know 
the anticipation building as that breakaway on the ice or on the field or on the court, wherever it is. And then there's a miss shot. There's a turnover. There's an offensive foul. There's whatever it is. And you know that little heart-sinking moment. When we watch a, a miss shot or a strikeout or a loss. And when Paul talks about this idea that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he's using a term that would have tied in to, in some ways, I don't know that it would be exclusively this, but in some ways to sports. And I think that's probably, at least for me, that's probably the quickest avenue into understanding, oh, okay, yeah, I get that. I feel the weight of that when it comes down to a basketball game I'm really cheering for. I know every miss, I feel it. Every time I'm watching, like I said, it felt like these guys are out there sinning all over the place because it's coming up short, missing the mark. And when we think of the, the idea, the concept of sin that way, if that's our definition, we all know what that feels like. Because we know what it feels like to fail to live up to our own standards for ourselves. I know I do. As I think through who I wish I was, I wish I was more disciplined in all these areas of life. I wish that I was more committed to being intentional about all these different things in life and then I get to the end of the day on Saturday and I go, whew, I'm not, I'm not living up to even my own ideals for myself. You know that feeling. We all know that feeling. If we didn't, there would be no such thing as a New Year's resolution, right? Because it's you going... Okay, I got another shot. I don't, I don't personally um, buy into it because I'm like, hey, you know, February 7 is just as good a time to start making changes as January 1. November 22 is just as good a time to start making changes as January 1. But even the fact that we go, hey, I need to make some changes, that's an indication that we're not even living up to our own standards for ourselves. That's why I think why advertisements work. Because they're all assuming that we feel this lack, this something missing. And so they're saying, hey, you're not feeling quite right? Try this food. Try this drink. Buy a new car. Wear this different kind of clothes. It's going to meet you right where you're at, and that is going to make you feel whole. Now, they don't say that last part, but if we didn't already feel this lack, this shortcoming, this dissatisfaction from, I think, 
failing to live up to our own version of ourselves, our own ideal version of ourselves, our own standards of the things that we we do value. But if we watch how we live, it wouldn't look like we value. And I know that there are things in me that aren't who I want myself to be. And I know that feeling. And I know what it looks like to come up short, to miss the mark, to, as Paul would say, or as we've, uh, as we've translated what Paul would say, to sin. And when you think about it that way, we all understand that. We know that we haven't lived up to our own standards. So, of course, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I don't say this, and I don't believe that Paul says this. I don't think that when Jesus talked about this, uh, this disconnect, this separation, this falling short, I don't think that these conversations are to make us feel like, hey, now you, um, I don't know, worm or, you know, worthless failure. This disconnect is because you're so screwed up. You see, that's why the gospel means the good news. Because we all already know this feeling. We all already know that we don't measure up. That there are things about us that our own standards we fail to meet. So of course we fail to meet God's standards. And the good news is that we don't have to stay disconnected that Jesus made a way for us to be reconnected with God. And I think that if we start to um, if we start to move away from this concept of sin, if we start to try to pretend like we don't feel that disconnect, like I said at the beginning, I talked about how I think we get down this road and personal experience informs this way of thinking that says, well, man, if those are the moral arbiters of what faith looks like, I don't know if I can buy into that. I, I understand that perspective. I appreciate where you're coming from. I hear it. But if we're going to allow these experiences from people who were maybe or maybe not acting in good faith um, to let us deny an obvious reality that we know about ourselves, we fail to live up to our own standards. We know that there's something more. We know there's something that we're currently missing 
God speaks into that moment with the gospel. Because we know all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, I don't know, probably most of us are familiar with this, but there's, uh, there's a, I guess, an order. There's a way that many of us were probably taught to share our faith. That's called the Romans Road. And it's a bunch of verses from the book of Romans that talk about the human condition like this one, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then there's another verse in the Romans road that says the wages of sin is death. This falling short, this disconnect, this missing the mark, the wages, the payment, what comes next is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want you to know that if you've been listening and you, you know, at the start of this episode, you were one that would say, yeah, I've kind of done away with the idea of sin. I want you to know that denying the problem, trying to pretend like there's not a problem in the first place, um, I, I don't think that it's um, intellectually honest. And I think it leaves us in a worse place because you can't fix what you don't acknowledge. You can't move forward until you say, hey, there are some things that need to change. And like Paul writes, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you hear that and you go, man, I, I want to experience that. I want to encourage you to reach out to somebody. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that many of you listening will have somebody in your life who has been on some level a spiritual positive influence in you or in your life and that has at least made you open to sitting and listening to this podcast about faith when faith isn't a huge priority on your uh, life list. If you're listening and you're going, man, I, I get it. I see the brokenness in me and I don't, I don't want to live there anymore. I want to experience this free gift of life. Uh, reach out to somebody. If you don't have somebody, get in touch with me. Uh, my email is alan, A-L-A-N, at winningathome.com. And that second at, in the winning at home, you spell that out. It's a uh, it's unfortunate to have the, the word at in our company name when that's what the email is. But anyway, so if you don't have someone, uh, please reach out to me and we can connect. I would, I would love to do that. I just want, if you're, um, if you're listening and really were brought along on this journey of like, Hey, I, I was one of the people who couldn't understand how people could deny 
the idea or move away from the idea of sin in the first place. Uh, I hope that you were able to listen with an open mind and kind of hear the perspective where that's coming from. And if that was your perspective, you were kind of living in a post-sin world yourself. Um, I'm guessing that just like me, you hear this different understanding of what it looks like to miss the mark. And you go, oh, okay, yeah, that, I'm not denying that that exists. I know that feeling every day. I want to invite you to experience God's goodness, the good news of the gospel in the midst of that. So please reach out to somebody, reach out to me, reach out to um, anyone who's been a, a positive spiritual influence in your life and let's go and make a change. Let's go and live instead of in this missing the mark, falling short, failing, lacking way and instead live into this free gift of eternal life.